A psalm against self-sufficiency. I'll say it again because it's got lots of S's in it. A psalm against self-sufficiency. Psalm 46, page 559 if you have a pew Bible. Uh, You are an individual. You came here tonight walking on your own two feet or driving in your own car or at least under your own steam. You are an individual. Tonight as you sit here, you stand or sit metaphorically as an individual. You're your own person. There will come a day when, as your own person, you'll stand before God, as you stand kind of before him all the time, as an individual, responding to the God who made you, responding to his goodness, responding to whatever happens in your life. It's tempting, I think, when we read uh, the Psalms, to think that they're talking just to us as individuals. This psalm doesn't really do that. Uh, We've heard this is the the third of three psalms that we're looking at in our little mini-series. And we've seen in the psalms that one of the things that they do is kind of put words in the mouths of God's people. They they say things which on one hand are affirming. You're like, oh yeah, I felt that. I've, I've felt that way. I've cried out that way. But at the same time, they're a little bit alienating because they say things that we might not actually feel comfortable saying. Affirming and alienating. And so I just want to say before we start tonight, or before we crack into Psalm 46, uh, whether or not you feel that God is your refuge and your strength, uh, this is a psalm that is for a group of people. And so I just want to say, let's get into it together. This is a psalm for a group, not just a psalm for an individual. Uh, It's a whole nation, really. Uh, in Israel's case, in God's people's case, who, who sing this song together. And we're going to think about what it means for us who know Jesus uh, to read this psalm through the lens of the cross. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness toward us. And we thank you that we can know you because you've spoken to us. And we thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus, who has walked this earth like us, who knows what it is to trust you in trouble and to be faithful. Uh, We thank you for his sacrifice for us and ask now that as we look at your word together, you might by the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, uh, so change us and empower us to live as your people that we might give you honour and glory with our corporate life. Amen. God is our refuge and strength, uh, an ever-present help in trouble. Uh, It's an assumption that there's going to be trouble. Uh, maybe life is good for you at the moment. Maybe it's not. The temptation, again, is to read this, oh, my trouble. What's my trouble? It could be relational, could be physical, could be depressive, could be spiritual. What's my trouble? That's not really what this psalm is addressing. Uh, the nerds who've looked at uh, Psalm 46 reckon that's probably a psalm written by uh, the people of Israel. And it's not claimed as one by David, but written by God's people in response to an event about 700 years before Jesus, the king of Assyria, Sennacherib, yeah. Um, Dudes with random names in the Bible, Sennacherib. Uh, Assyrian king kind of taking over the land surrounding the city of Jerusalem, threatened on every side, Jerusalem's on a hill, and God intervenes to save Jerusalem. The, 
the kind of the lower ground is taken by the baddies, the Assyrians, and Israel is left protected, safe. And so we're just going to read through the psalm with that historical vibe in mind and hear the people of Israel rejoicing in God's goodness. Uh, God is our refuge and strength, they say, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we won't fear, though the earth gives way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, you know what it's like to be attacked. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. You know, in, in Jerusalem it's pretty dry. It's not actually a big river that flows through the city like we heard in Revelation. There's a, kind of, there's a stream that flows a little bit in winter and there's a couple of springs, the one that fills the pool of Siloam and another one, they kind of trickle through the city but it's not, not a great river. This is a, the metaphor here. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. Hear the people of Jerusalem rejoicing that their capital, their space which is set aside for the temple... The place where God dwells with his people is protected. God is within her. She won't fall. God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall, Assyria. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he's brought on the earth. See, Israel rejoicing that their enemies haven't quite done the worst they could do. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still. Know that I'm God. I'll be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. It's those two lines that are repeated. Verse 7, verse 11. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. It's a kind of cry of the people. It's a bit aspirational, isn't it? It's a reminder that though terrible things have happened, God is with his people. They've been saved from... Sennacherib from the Assyrians taking over the city where God dwells. Uh, But we don't live 700 years before Jesus. Uh, We're not those people. Uh, We know more of God in his goodness and mercy than the people of Israel knew 700 years before their Messiah, their promised king. Uh, What does it mean for us who stand 2,000 years this side of the death and resurrection of Jesus to to say these words together, to sing them, as we're going to do after after the sermon? Accompanied, don't worry. Uh, What does it mean for us as a people of God to say that God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble? A couple of things uh, we just want to draw out as we read through the text together. Uh, We're not by nature the people of Israel, and so it's good for us to be reminded of the echoes and the rhythms of the text that come from uh, being an Israelite, one of God's chosen people, that uh, as mostly Anglos who live not in the people of God, not in Israel, not in a Jewish mainstream, uh, that we might not pick up. So come with me for a little while. Uh, Verse 1, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. The idea of a refuge, as Nikki spoke about at the start of the service, is not an uncommon one for the people of God. Do you remember Moses when God appeared to him to deliver the law to God's people, that law which revealed the character of God, revealed what God was like, what pleased him, how to live as the free people that God saved out of Egypt? When God reveals himself to Moses, Moses has to hide in the cleft of a rock, a little gap, and God puts his hand over Moses so he won't be destroyed by the absolute purity 
of God's holiness. God has always been a refuge for his people and their strength. Remember when God saved Israel out of Egypt? The Israelites were nobodies. They were slaves. It was God's strength on display. It was Moses just holding a stick and planting it on the side of the river that caused the waters to separate. It wasn't a really powerful stick. It was a really powerful God. God is the refuge and strength of his people Israel. Uh, When it says that we won't fear though the earth gives way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, uh, up the the top of the psalm you notice that it's uh, of the sons of Korah. Uh, The sons of Korah were a a bunch of the the 12 tribes of Israel, one of those tribes, Levi. Uh, His tribe were meant to be in charge of the temple. And early on, uh, number 16, you can read about this, early on uh, one of the tribes within Levi, so tribes and sub-tribes, Aaron's descendants were meant to look after all the offerings in the temple. But Korah and his sons decided, well, actually, that looks like a pretty impressive job, kind of closer to the action where God dwells. So we'd like to have a go at that. And so they did it, and the earth swallowed them up. God said, you've done exactly the opposite of what I've said. He said to the people of Israel, get away from Korah and his sons' tents and their possessions, and the earth swallowed them up. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way. It's a little echo of what happens when a God who is in control of everything is rebelled against. When the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, the sea's waters roar and foam. Remember that for Israel, who are pretty much a land-based people, they were nomads and wanderers in a pretty dry part of the earth. The picture of the sea in Hebrew literature is one of chaos. At the very beginning in Genesis 1, the waters at the deep is this symbol of chaos. And what God does is by his word controls and builds. Though the waters roar and foam and the mountains quake, We won't fear God's people, although they're in a world which is seemingly out of control, where forces greater than themselves are at work, God's people are reminded that it is the Lord who is strong. As we stand in in a time where our world looks like it's out of control on lots of levels, it's easy to say the same thing, isn't it? When Camilla prayed tonight, you had to agree with her. We live in a broken world. Um, Even though we might not express it the same way, with waters roaring and foaming and mountains falling into the heart of the sea, uh, the world we live in is not in our control. There's trouble in our world. Physical trouble, or the world itself, and there's trouble in people. There's never been peace. It seems like folly sometimes even to pray for peace. It's so unrealistic a goal. But the psalmist insists that God is our refuge and strength. And there's that promise, isn't there? Verse 9, how did you feel when we read verse 9? Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he's brought on the earth. What does God do? He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks, burns, shatters... Now, frankly, I haven't seen that 
Even under the height of Israel's kingship, David and Solomon, there was still war. There was peace for a moment, but not even for a generation. And you definitely couldn't look at Israel today and say that wars have ceased. You couldn't look at our world and say that. So what is, what is the psalm saying? Well, if you come back with me up to verse 4, we are reminded that the city that God is talking about, the city of God, the place where he dwells, uh, is not something that exists in our present physical experience. The river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells, that was Jerusalem for Israel. And there's a bunch of Christians in the world today that think that if we get Jerusalem right, that place over in the Middle East, if we get that right, then peace will come to the earth. And there's people throwing millions of dollars at peace in the Middle East, at restoring Israel to a Jewish nation. That's not, that's not what this is talking about. Now, there's a reason that we read Revelation 21 and 22. Would you come there quickly to look at the river? You probably picked it up uh, as so was reading it. Uh, if you've got a church Bible, Revelation 22 is on page 1231. Pretty much just turn to the very back of your Bible and then back a few pages. This is a picture of new heavens and new earth. It's a clean break. And by the way, I'm excited about our next sermon series, which is looking at big themes across the Bible. The first one we're doing is creation to new creation. Uh, As Christians, we've got citizenship in heaven, a place which is waiting for us where Jesus lives physically. The risen, resurrected Jesus is there. A new heaven and a new earth. This one passes away and God is doing something new. And the picture that Revelation paints, and remember, it's like a comic strip painting the picture for you. Have a look at chapter 22. The angel showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. The point from Revelation 22 is there is a river. There is a river at the heart a life-giving river that's not a trickly stream coming up from a well at the top of a mountain in Jerusalem. No, it's a, it's a proper stream, crystal clear, flowing properly. It's not the uncontrolled seas. It's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. And that is where God dwells. There are two commands in the second half of the psalm, two commands to the people of God, And I think they're commands that as we sit uh, this side of the cross, it's beautiful for us to to hear them. Uh, Did you pick them up as we looked at them? The first one's in verse 8. Come and see the works of the Lord. Come and see the works of the Lord. It's a little bit, you know when um, tourists come to Sydney and you're like, you're proud of your city, say, come and see Sydney. I'm going to take you to the oyster bar just in between Circular Quay and the Opera House. Come and say, sit here, have oysters, look at the Harbour Bridge. I know it's just a bridge, but hey, it's pretty. Come and see, come and see the Blue Mountains, if that's your thing, if you just like looking at trees. Come and see, come and see this beautiful place. As Christians, this is, this is the way we talk about what God has done. Come and see the works of the Lord. We probably wouldn't put it in quite those words. But is this not what you do with your friends, with the people you know who don't know Jesus? Do you know what I've found in Jesus? Come and see this. Can I tell you about what I've discovered about God 
Come and see the works of the Lord. Now, we're not going to take people to show them a city. We're going to take people to show them the Lord Jesus. See, the desolations that God has brought on the earth, the wars ceased, the the bows broken, the spears shattered, the shields that are burned, this picture of war, I think, sums up the battle that has been fought by Jesus, the victory over sin and death that Jesus has won. The second command, verse 10 there, be still and know that I am God. It's a twofold command. The first, be still, and the second, know that I'm God. In Hebrew, when you put two commands together, it's the second one that carries the weight. It's not just a call for us to meditate, be still, good as that is, Go back and read Psalm 1, meditate on the, day, the law of the Lord day and night. But know that God is God. Know. Uh, and this is something that you and I can encourage one another in. Know that the Lord is God. Why do you and I have to be commanded to be still and remember that the Lord, the God of the Bible, really is God? Well, because the second half of verse 10 doesn't feel like it's true, does it? Is God exalted among the nations? Is God exalted in the earth? Not the way I see it at the moment. But this is why it's a future tense. Be still and know that the Lord is God because he will be exalted among the nations and he will be exalted in the earth. Well, that's fine. It's a nice theory. How do do you know? How do you know that God will be exalted? How do you know that this peace will come? How do you know that wars will cease? How do you know that? How do you know that this will happen? It's going to be no surprise that I take us to Jesus. See, the phrase that's repeated in this psalm, that the Lord Almighty is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress, is the heart of the cry of God's people. How do you know when the kingdom of God is threatened that he will prevail? As you look back and you see what he's done. You look back and you see that God's promises are trustworthy. Do you doubt that God is for you? Look back and see what he has done. Do you doubt that God loves you? Look back and see what he has done. Do you doubt that God will provide for your need as you seek first his kingdom? Look back and see what he has done. For Israel, they looked back to Abraham, to Isaac and Jacob. I mean, I don't know if it struck you as you look at the verse that's repeated, verse 7, verse 11. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Why pick on Jacob? Do you know anything about Jacob? If you want to take a note, Genesis 26, 28, Jacob is a weird dude. Jacob is not a perfect man. Jacob is the dodgy twin, really. His brother, Esau, he was the kind of redhead, awesome. Uh, Stronger, older brother, ruddy, hairy. He was the guy that went out and hunted. Esau was the one who should have had the, the blessing as the older son. And Jacob, sneaky, sneaky, puts the dead goat on his arm so his blind dad gives him the blessing. It's a good story. But the point is that Jacob, firstly, didn't do, deserve anything to be blessed by God, didn't do anything to deserve God's blessing, yet he got it. God promised Jacob the same thing he promised Isaac 
and Abraham before him, that God would bless him. God's people don't do anything to deserve his favour. And Jacob's a good reminder of that. The Lord Almighty is with us. How do we look back and see that the Lord Almighty is with us? Turn with me, please, to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. It's page 1049. You've probably memorised it from our last sermon series on John a little while ago. Uh, whenever, you, whenever you want to memorise something in the Bible, John 1 is a good place to start. When you're not sure that God is for you, when you're not sure that the trouble that his people, his kingdom, or maybe even you as an individual, when you're not sure whether God is for you, the place we always go is to Jesus. When we read the Psalms as individuals or corporately, we read them through the lens of our Lord, the Son of God. John chapter 1, verse 14. The Word, who from the beginning of this chapter has been made clear, is God the Son, Jesus. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. See, when the psalmist said, the Lord is with us, it's not just a rah-rah, God is carrying our flag. God's got a picture of us on his wall. No, no. Jesus has walked where we walk. Jesus knows what it is to be hungry. Jesus knows what it is to try and trust God when it seems that everything is going the other way. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. This is the Lord God who speaks. The Lord God who sends his son to live as one of us, fully man, tempted in every way, yet without sin. The Lord Almighty is with us, and it's Jesus, it's Jesus who goes to the cross and is punished for what he doesn't deserve. The Lord who is with us in our sin. Christ who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him we might be forgiven. We might become the righteousness of God. The Lord is with us in a profound way that is very, very good for us who are undeserving before God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And as Jesus defeats sin and death and evil in his resurrection from the dead, he says to his disciples, I will be with you. Matthew 28, I will be with you. And he's with his people by his spirit. If you're flicking, come back to Psalm 46. See, as we read Psalm 46 through the lens of the living, crucified, resurrected and ascended Jesus who sends his spirit to be with his people, we don't just read this as individuals, but as members of a family and a kingdom whose most epic battle against sin and death and evil has already been won at the cross whose evidence of victory, the empty tomb, has been made clear. Psalm 46 is a call for us not to stand in our own strength, 
God is our refuge and strength. What does it mean for us to stand in the strength of God? I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. For us to stand in the strength of God does not mean that we just sit around and let God just do his work as we bumble along doing nothing. The strength of God is the same strength that Jesus exhibited as a person who trusted God. The strength of God is the same strength that was exhibited in the lives of the apostles and on every Christian who has stood firm on the promises of God. When God is your strength, you stand firm, living as he calls us to live, faithfully obeying his commands, speaking what we know to be true wisdom, which sounds like foolishness to our world. When tomorrow, or even tonight, uh, you've got a decision on how to live and how to speak, how to act in our world, we can choose to live as disciples of the cross or people who just follow along with our world. Uh, We can give in to fear, fear of persecution, fear of just being idiots, fear of being thought simple-minded because we follow a man who was crucified. Uh, But the message of the cross has always been foolishness. The message of the cross has always been foolishness to those who seek wisdom. It's always been weakness to those who look for strength. Uh, The Christian way is to stand strong. It was not easy for Jesus to stand under temptation. It was not easy for the apostles to stand up and say, Jesus is the Messiah, the promised King. It was not easy for every Christian who's put their faith in him since then to stand firm against temptation. And none of them, apart from Jesus, have done it perfectly. The strength that God provides is the strength that took Jesus to the cross and raised him from the dead. The strength that comes from knowing there is a place where God dwells, in a new creation where Jesus is firmly established as king and that there is a day that God has set when he will bring justice, when wars will cease. For us, we're called to come. See the works of the Lord. See the cross. See the empty tomb. See what the Spirit of God has done through his people. Be still and know that he alone is God. He will be exalted. Our task this week is to live as the people God has called us to be. The Lord Almighty is with us and the God of Jacob is our fortress. Let me pray. Father, you know that uh, we are far from perfect. Uh, You know that uh, it's our tendency to uh, feel as though uh, we're at the centre of everything. Uh, We thank you, Lord, for raising our gaze to something that's greater than ourselves. Uh, We thank you that uh, you remind us that we are part of a people. Uh, We pray tonight that you would continue to establish your kingdom on the earth, uh, that you'd raise up men and women who put their faith in Christ uh, to serve you all their days in knowledge that uh, you have established Jesus as the king of all the earth and there comes a day when we all stand before him. Uh, Father, we thank you that we can look back and see your faithfulness, uh, that you keep your promises, that you send a king to save us. Uh, We pray this week that you give us opportunities to... to to speak and show 
uh, of the goodness you've shown to us, uh, to let people see the works that you have done. And we pray that you'd help us to know that you are the Lord, to be still, uh, to to grow in our knowledge and love of you. Uh, We pray that that your kingdom would keep growing uh, in us and through us and around the world. And we pray this confident, uh, knowing that you're a faithful God. Amen.